Well, we are um, into Isaiah now, and we I think we're going through chapters 1 through 11. Is that what we decided? 1 through 12? I did 1 through 12. Fair enough. All right. Uh, oh, yeah. I was thinking of Genesis 1 through 11 because that's all like tied in so well to each other that that 1 through 11 just sticks in my head. But yeah, so Isaiah... Um, one through 12, uh, what maybe first things as you've been ruminating on this, is there something that just like grabbed you or, um, or was there something like, man, I feel like this one through 12 really arcs together really well or anything just kind of high level observations we'll start with. Yeah, I took some, I took some Harry shorthand as I was reading each chapter. So I'll bring those up as we go, but Overall, this is like the Syrian chapter, right? Or like not, I, sh- I shouldn't say chapter, but like the Syrian section. Assyria. Yes. Yeah. So that, that's something that jumped out to me that it was like very, very specific when it's like, woe to this, woe to that. He was like calling out kings of that specific time and like that specific reign. So yeah. that's something I would call out. Yeah, I, I think is like as well, just the focus on leadership, like specifically calling out leaders for their utter failure. Um, I think too, like it's, I want to come into this reading it as, you know, somebody that I, I would love to be able to read it as not a Christian, but I just, I can't like, I see there's just, it's messianic language everywhere. Even like in chat in chapter nine, when it's like, so as a child is born, I'm just like, okay, like what, how, <laughs> how can I, how can I like take my brain out of this? And I can't. So every time I see that, I'm like, boom, boom, boom. And I'm just like, Chris, just stop for a second. Yeah. The hairy shorthand for chapter nine is half Jesus awesomeness, good news, then back to hellfire. That's, th- that's what I have subtitled for chapter nine. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's totally true. One thing that I noticed uh, just right at the beginning um, so it's like, Hey, this is a vision of Isaiah, son of Amos, which he saw during these people's reigns. Then it says, listen, heavens and hear earth. And I thought that was interesting that this is something that Isaiah is asking, not just earth to listen to, but the heavens as well. Um, and, and I'm wondering if there's part of that is to show kind of Chris, what you were saying, how there, this is aimed at authority, but it's, Isaiah, because, um, you know, he's been given this vision from God, uh, he he's maybe kind of connecting the dots of the authorities of the earth also being kind of manipulated or moved by the authorities of the spiritual places, so to speak. So I, I thought that was really interesting initially that, like, it's, it's not just, hey, listen up, kings of Judah. It's actually, like, all of creation needs to hear this, included the spiritual realm. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't catch that. That's good. Yeah, and and I thought one thing that maybe kind of heightens that as we go is one thing that I was noticing is almost in every chapter, it seems like the name that Isaiah seems to come back to for God is Lord of Heaven's Armies, which was really interesting. And and so I don't know if you guys picked up on that or what your thoughts on why, why maybe would Isaiah be like coming back to this title of Lord of Heaven's Armies? Yeah, that was something that I noticed as well. And I didn't know if that was just a, like a, an obvious play on words where he would use that to show the like 
his God is more powerful or if that was a more, you know, cause, cause this is at this time, these Kings are probably taking over by acquisition and taking over by war. Him calling that out is probably saying like, just so you know, my God is the God of like all these armies, et cetera, et cetera. But I didn't know if there was anything more specific than that. I mean, I, I think I'd agree with you. I think it's just a focus on war and power. Um, there might be more, but that's all I thought about it. Um, and you know, like God uses, Assyria historically to just decimate everything, but he also ends up killing like 150,000 Assyrians with, you know, the Lord's heavens, uh, the, uh, God's army. So it's like, I don't know. I, I see some parallels there. Like, yes, there are leaders that have power here on earth, but ultimately whatever power, whatever you have, whatever you store up here on, on earth is just gonna, it's not going to matter. It's not going to get you anything. Yeah, one of the things at the end of chapter two, I believe that he says is, you know, why are you putting your faith in men when they're just there? There's just air in their nostrils. Like, why are you putting so much faith in them? And so I wondered if him continually just kind of threading in heaven's armies, the Lord of heaven's armies, the Lord of heaven's armies, just to be like, hey, you as you're turning to these worldly powers for your sense of safety and security is really nonsense because there's a spiritual God who has realm, like dominion over spiritual armies that like there's just literally these these people with air in their breath cannot compete. And of course, since I'm a Lord of the Rings person, I came up with that I like that analogy and I was wondering like I wonder if J.R. Tolkien like this is really what he was thinking because you get to the return of the king and there's this huge war going on and Gondor is going down like there's just no question about it like Gondor is going to lose because just millions of orcs are storming this thing and so you're like literally how are we going to get out of this situation and then the the ghost army comes with Aragon and they storm through and it's just like not even kind of a fight like the orcs just all die because what are they supposed to do they can't they can't hit ghost armies like it's not possible but for whatever reason it works the other way around but you know but (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure tolkien had a reason but i don't know what it is i would like to think think. well i think probably his reason is this right is like he he's got this maybe biblical sense or at least maybe isaiah um that has this biblical sense where it's like something about the heavenly realm has very much influence even like tangibly on the earth but in the other way it doesn't really work like that Hmm. you know i I think you mentioned it too early in the conversation which is like the genesis overtones in isaiah specifically are very very strong and i think that that theme which you mentioned is extremely present in genesis and that it's also probably either implicitly or explicitly mentioned here like and once again going back to like these kings that are probably growing by acquisition and growing by war it's a very earthly mentality and so to get supernatural on them you know, I, I wonder if that too, you know, I know we talked about prophecy in general, but I, I wonder how much of that too is like very unique to Isaiah, you know, in, in his delivery. Because it, it seems as I was reading through it, it does seem much different than others uh, in general. Yeah, I think Amos is maybe the most similar that comes to mind. But honestly, Isaiah's, yeah. I, Hayden, I thought you were talking about the Lord of the Rings. I thought you were talking about the Elrond quote where he says, men men are weak because that's what i thought of when i read that but yeah yeah when i thought of when i thought of that i thought of like 
the tree on top of the hill, the highest tree on top of the hill. That's what I thought. You know, maybe we just need to spend the next time, not this during the Isaiah, but after that, just going through all of Lord of the Rings. Guys, if we want to just map popular literary, uh, you know, examples of, you know, like how they used the Bible allegorically, we could do a podcast just on that in and of itself. That'd be great. That'd be so much fun. It would write itself, honestly. Um, another thing that I was noticing is, um, and th- this is kind of consistent with just the the genre itself, but um, of prophetic language, there was a lot of pictures being used, a lot of imagery being drawn on. And, and there's two things I appreciated about. Mm. One, as I was thinking about it, I, w- I was like, man, it, it would be easy to just say, like, you're all going to get destroyed. Um, and maybe I said this last time, but but for him to then say like, oh, your your children are going to be dashed against the rocks and your women are going to be taken from their homes. Like that's a that's a much more like understanding of what's going on. Like it, that hits you in your heart, that image, rather than just saying like, hey, your city is going to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. But then the other thing I appreciated about that is he, he's not being allegorical in in that sense but when he is being allegorical he makes it really clear so like in chapter five he talks about the vineyard and he's like my master had a vineyard and blah 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 and and then at the end i really appreciate it and he's like and the vineyard is israel and the bitter grapes are the israelites or whatever like when when he is being allegorical when he does want you to see a one-to-one comparison like that's spelled out for you and so that's one thing i appreciated i think sometimes like when we get into biblical studies we're like what does this image mean what does this image mean what does this image mean And, and i appreciate that like when that was necessary he gave it to us but i think other times, the rest of the time, basically, what what hit me was the the emotional impact that the pictures have in in heightening like the the argument. Yeah. Once again, the Harry subtitles, chapter five. I was like, am I reading Song of Solomon right now? Like this kind of it's it's almost like the same kind of poetry as in that book. But then at the end, you're right. He kind of gives you the the answers or the key or the legend. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what I mean when I'm saying this and that. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. So maybe maybe we kind of cruise then through the 1 through 12. Maybe we'll start in chapter 1. What what was – was there stuff that struck you in, in chapter 1 and uh, why? Once again, I, don't, I feel like not to bring us too far down or back or whatever – but looking at it, it's like it's like a bunch of poetry, right? It's structured as poetry. It's like a bunch of like two liners almost. Like you're saying, poetic uh, metaphors to communicate a message. Is that is that that I, that's something I noticed? And like it's almost like that for four chapters, and then it goes into something else, like a more narrative structure. I think in five or six. But that's something right off the bat that I noticed. Yeah. Um... I guess the first thing that strikes me, um, it's just, <laughs> I, I don't know how how intense it is right away. Um, there's not there's no buildup. It's just like, you know, he's he's trying to sock you in the gut. He wants he wants this to be urgent. Like there's urgency. It's maybe the best way to say it. Like you're you're supposed to feel like there's something you need to do right now. It's immediate. And if you know nothing happens, there, you know, will be X, Y, and Z. But um, 
I love the hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, like right away. This is, he's, he's, he's right, he's starting this off. It's very important. Uh, listen, you're going to die. Yeah. I, I also like that um, as, as he's going, he gives very, and, and I mentioned this before, but he, he's being very specific about what the problem is. Um, so Isaiah 1 16, he says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my st- sight. Stop doing evil, <laughs> learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, obtain justice for the orphan, plead the widow's cause. And, and then he, oh man, this part's so good. And then he says, come now and let us debate your case. And you're like, oh my gosh, God's going to throw it down. And, but then he gets, it's so crazy. Like he's like, you're, you're not seeking justice you're rebu- you're not rebuking the oppressor oh, etc no justice you're not pleading for the widow so come plead your case says the lord though your sins are scarlet they shall become white as snow they are red like crimson but they shall be wool and you're like whoa what wait wait what just happened like it, it is so interesting like he, he's throwing it at him he's putting their charges up on the wall he's nailing them there and then and then it's like and so here's what's going to happen to you I will forgive you. <laughs> and you're like, what just happened? Dude, that, that is the theme. That is the repeated theme in, in Isaiah. I like that. <laughs> it, it is the strongest language that he could possibly use, followed by the nice redemptive message. And then let's rinse and repeat that like 25 times throughout these chapters. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I love the way it ends. It is poetry, but I... I I just love the way that, you know, sometimes it's translated in English and you're just like, oh, that's so good. And other times you're like, I, you know, but the the mighty man will become tinder and his work as spark. Both will burn together with no one to quench the fire. Oh, that's just, it's so good. Well, and the, the part that I didn't mention is that this is poetry spoken by God to yeah. Isaiah. So it, it's good. You know, it's going to be good when it's got to be pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> One thing as I was listening to this too, and we can kind of move into chapter two as we go, but it, it was kind of cool. I was listening to Leviticus as we were also doing this. And one thing that was interesting about Leviticus is, you know, in Leviticus, they're giving all this law that they're supposed to be following, um, that Moses is communing with God on the mountain. And he's like, here's the laws of, of God that you will need to follow. But then in chapter 26, verse 14, he says, but if you will not listen to me and carry out all these commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws, etc., etc., then this is what I will do to you. I'll bring on sudden terror, disease, and fever. You'll plant seed, but your enemies will eat it. I'll set my face against you, and you'll be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you, and you will flee, even when no one is pursuing you. And, and I, as I was listening to Leviticus and then reflecting on Isaiah, I was like, whoa, that's kind of interesting like we we talk about one of the characteristics of god being like slow to anger like he literally told them this and what would happen in leviticus so i i thought that was just one interesting thing to bring in is it's not like god's like you know what screw it and you messed up and now it's it's a done your your people are going to be taken over he literally gave them all the stuff they should do and told them and if you don't follow this this is what's going to happen and and eventually it does happen and i I just thought that was interesting well that and that's the other thing too to mention this is you know this is 150 years previous to the next section we're going to read 
So how much of this is prophecy? How much of this is, you know, uh, redacted, et cetera? So, like, we, we're not here to comment on that, but yeah. it, it does bear to mention. Well, you almost got like, and you you do have this, it just depends on how you look at it, but you have like a, a, like a double prophecy. You have like a short-term prophecy and a long-term prophecy, and that's what it makes it so like complex and incredible. And yeah, so it's just, it depends on like, obviously you can have different opinions on what you think about it, but um, looking at it from a Christological perspective, it blows your mind. And then at the time when people got this, it probably blew their minds as these events were happening. Yeah, I feel like Isaiah was a pretty popular scroll and, and was once again to Jesus. And so it, it was popular probably for a reason. It probably got a lot of people's attention. Yeah, and, and I think the the reason it was popular and got a lot of attention is partially because you know, like you said, Chris, it it's stuff that did indeed happen. Like, and, and I think mm-hmm. that that's something that it's interesting when you think about how it was then important to Jesus and how he was quoting it and pulling it up. And, and then you were talking about how there's like the short term prophecy and this long term prophecy. And when you like kind of put all those ideas together, I think what it was showing me is like God's character is consistent. And, Mm. and so Isaiah kind of nailed it in this case, like what he was saying of God's character was true. And, and because God's character is true and it is consistent, then when Jesus picks it up, he's like, Hey, remember how true it was of God's character in this case well that that's still the same god today and, and you're gonna see it happen in the same way and, and i think that's one thing that we mm. can like take away as we're like what are these prophecies about are they about today are they about you know when he was writing and and in either case at least what you can realize is well we can we can at least kind of discern prophetically what god thinks about things and how he's going to act about things um based on Isaiah because he's still that same God. So he still is going to move against oppression and injustice and those things. And he's going to do it with forgiveness and surprising amounts of grace. And and I think that's one thing that um, kind of moving into Isaiah 2, mm. I think um, it is heightened then in the way that he, he talks about it is like that another thing that he will continue to do is kind of he he starts using these illustrations of mountains and and is like and then in that day the lord's mountain mm-hmm. is going to be raised up on, on as the highest mountain and kind of showing that there's these other little we build our kingdoms and we make them big like mountains but ultimately if they're not being built on this other mountain like they're going to get pushed down and the lord's going to raise himself up to be the one that people look at so Thoughts on on two? Yeah, I think two the the you know the piece that you mentioned was the piece that that jumped out to me. Um, we're talking like Christologically. Uh, that that's something that with prophecy especially helps me out because instead of thinking was he talking about this point in history or was he alive now or whatever, it's like what points to Jesus. And when I read two and a lot of other sections of Isaiah for that matter, but when I read two, it's like oh this is so. When I put it into that context, it's very, very nice. So when I think about the raised above other hills, I don't know if Isaiah meant that in this context, but it certainly points to Jesus very clearly for me. Yeah, I I think I agree. I think I also, you know, get Tower of Babel vibes too. Just bringing down human arrogance, human end. 
people from many nations, you know? Yeah, yeah I, I do think yeah. that's interesting. And, and in like 11 and 12, it says the proud look uh, of the proud look of humanity will be brought low and the arrogance will be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted on that day for the Lord of armies will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is arrogant and haughty and against everyone who is lifted up that he may be brought low and and so yeah going again to kind of the the point of this is another thing that just is in god's character is he is not cool with people being prideful he's not cool with people being arrogant and and i think i I was kind of doing some work in job because we're gonna talk about that some in our youth group they're asking some great questions about sin and why would god allow sin to happen and you know bad things happen to good people etc etc i think job handles that really well and and one of the things that god at the end he's kind of giving this this spiel to job and job is just like i am so stupid like you are so much greater than i know how to imagine like for me to be any kind of arrogant about my righteousness is utterly ridiculous and and i think that's one thing that you know is is a repeated theme um and then when we bring it into jesus it's especially surprising because the way that he humiliates the arrogant is by basically making them look incredibly stupid on the largest scale possible by killing the most innocent man for nothing and putting to death the actual god of the universe for you know for their own sake of holding on to some power and that's pretty alarming (laughs) and goes along with then you know like i said in that last time then he Mm. raises to terrify the earth at at the end of isaiah 2 and you're like oh yeah that's uh that's terrifying yeah and and something else too you mentioned there that's like kind of off forgotten i think in this message because the powerful message is kind of like what we're saying and that the prophecy of what's to come but that last line of like don't put your trust in mere humans you're like i feel like that that once again, like that supernatural tone is repeated by Paul later too, where he's like, we're not, we're not here for men. We're here for God. Right. And I think that, you know, maybe that made Isaiah a popular one, but that theme throughout, it's not just doom and gloom, it's redemption. And it's not just doom and gloom. It's for these very specific reasons that are supernatural and point to something else. Yeah. So I I don't want to necessarily go through chapter by chapter. I don't think we need to do that. Um, And it'd probably take more time than we have. So kind of as you were going, are there certain chapters in this section that you're like, don't want to miss this chapter? Definitely want to talk about this chapter. Um, What what are they? Or maybe what are some of the, you know, big highlighted things as you're reading that you're like this week? We have to talk about. Yeah, we we, we got it. So we talked about five. And I'm glad we talked about that. We got to talk about nine. We got to talk about nine. Um, We got to talk about 11 because it ties in David. It ties in the hill, the branch, the, you know, the tree, all this imagery. Um, And then I think we got to put a bow on it and say like, okay, this was one through 12. Now we're going to look towards Babylon or where, I don't know what is next, but the next, you know, 150 150 years later, what, who's the bad guy then? Um, But the, because once again, it's a lot of doom and gloom, and then it's like some narrative giving you some background as to like who Isaiah is talking to and when this came to him. But yeah, dude, freaking nine, eleven. Those are the those are the big chapters for me. I think um, briefly, just practically, not much to talk about. But Isaiah seven, just finding out that 
the Lord that Lord the Lord uses Assyria for all of this. And I mean that's his like looking in history it's kind of you know you, you see that pattern but Assyria was was the big guy at the time and they literally did decimate everything but Jerusalem. And so I don't know it's just interesting that God uses tip you see in the Bible a lot God uses a lot of uh people and leaders that aren't uh followers of him so and not necessarily that they're even good like he just he just uses them yeah oh yeah exactly that was one thing that i was going to say that i think is really interesting like in isaiah multiple times he's like and i'm going to raise up my servant from whatever from assyria from babylon and and he used like he builds these other people up for this certain this certain work of destruction but then like in that too he later on will be like but now i'm going to bring them down low because they're prideful they're thinking that they are the ones who have this mighty hand and and so there's kind of like this equality on that scale where it's like hey Mm -hmm. i am i am giving you all this stuff i'm raising you up for a purpose for israel it's raised up to be a light to the nations to show what true justice is to show what advocating for the orphan and the widow is and and when they don't do that and they become prideful and arrogant. That's one thing I loved about the early chapters. He's like, I don't care about your sacrifices. They tire me. They bore me. Like they're nothing. They mean nothing to me because what Mm -hmm. they're symbolizing, you're not actually living out. So you're just making this all about your own like religious piety. So for that, I'm going to bring you low. And then in the same way he deals with, um, he deals with the oppressors that he's like, I, built you for this and you think that it's just all you and and so probably there's some room in there for us to wrestle with our own selves where it's like where what are the things in my life that i'm kind of taking and saying like that i have done this you know and and maybe a warning there from isaiah for us but yeah, yeah getting into nine what are your thoughts on nine it is one of those places that's directly referenced uh, we actually just went through this um matthew 4 is where it's at um at city light we just preached over this where this part is quoted um so what yeah what's going on in matthew or in isaiah 9 what do you what stuck out to you why did you want to take us here it's all the messiah language once again because if 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 Isaiah was important to Jesus, that's important to me. Why was why was Isaiah important to Jesus? Is because he read chapter nine and he was like, "This is me. This is literally me." And then he did actions in his life which tied to the little couplets that we're reading, you know, hundreds of years later. So I think that's the biggest piece for me. It's not necessarily like. Uh, tangentially tied to Jesus's life. It's like almost every single, you're talking about how humanity will, humanity will be brought low by somebody coming in and just getting their butt whooped. You know, that, that is that kind of nine just talks about it. Uh, where are we at here, dude? Oh, there's all this punishment. There's so much punishment and we haven't even gotten to the suffering service stuff, yeah. but, but I feel like this kind of, this kind of touches on so much of that before we get into it. And I think, too, like, whenever Jesus is quoting something from the Old Testament or the scriptures, uh, it's good to know that everybody around Jesus knew, was familiar with those. So even though he's quoting a short part of nine, he's probably really referencing the entire section. So, yeah, like, you know, and, and we don't really, 
we, we know that there are a lot of things that aren't even in the Bible. So Jesus might have read more. There was an entire teaching that took place after he read that. So who, what did he teach about? Uh, it was probably incredible. I don't know, but that's, yeah. That's one, of those, that's one of those lines in the Gospels where it's like, oh, and then he just like talked about this particular scroll for an hour and it blew everybody's mind. I would so love to be there. <laughs> Man. Yeah, and I think it is, it is interesting because the context in which Matthew quotes it, at least in four, is basically to say, why he goes to Galilee and why he starts his ministry in Nazareth. And and it's so interesting because in Isaiah 8, he's basically saying, hey, these, these areas that are ancient Galilee, they're not listening to God's word. And that so they're just like, they're walking around like they're in darkness because they, they don't have any light. They've just blocked out the light they've put like blindfolds on themselves Mm -hmm. and so he's like so they're just walking around in darkness but there will be this day when when there will they will actually see the light and and so it's it's super interesting then when you kind of tie jesus into that where it's like okay so the reason they're wandering in darkness is because they are ignoring the word of god they've blocked out the word of god and then of course john like ties it together really well for us like calling jesus the word become flesh and so the word of God then comes to these people and and declares like straightforward like what is the the hope that they have to look for and and it's himself and, and so I just think that's that's super interesting how um, how it's like this this not listening to the word but then in Jesus we actually get to see what the fulfillment of here is on this and and then right after that it's the for the child will be born to us, the son will be given. And, and you're like, how does this all connect when you're just reading Isaiah again? Like you said, Chris, it's so hard not to just jump straight to Jesus. Um, but man, yeah, it's like, I don't know how else to interpret this. If I'm being real, it's it's the parts of the Bible that are so clearly pointing to each other that blow my mind the most. And when you read like for, and I know that this is probably the, piece of Isaiah that everyone quotes, but like when you read that, you're like, this was, this was written hundreds and hundreds of years, hundreds of years before. And it is so clearly pointing to Jesus. Yeah. I think people say between the eighth and 600 BC. So yeah, that's wild. And it, it does like, the pacing is just, I'm, I'm sure it's perfect, but it's just, it's so interesting how Isaiah does this. And then like the very next thing he talks about, like the fall of Assyria, and then like you get right back into, um, some messianic stuff. But I was talking, I, I want to note really quick. I was talking about how God destroys, um, Assyria and that you can, you can look at that in second Kings nineteen thirty-five. Um, he uses Hezekiah for that, but yeah, we talked about like the the ghost army, I guess. <laughs> yeah, one hundred eighty five thousand men. I mean, it's it's also not very long before it goes right back to the doom and gloom, as I've said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he he gets very specific in you know talking about the Lord's anger against Israel, which I think is kind of a a specific snapshot, right? So whether that's yeah placed on purpose right after the hope for the messiah or not I'm and there, not sure. there must have been some pretty incredible trees in lebanon because he can't stop talking about them he's talking about the oaks and like <laughs> it's just like they must <laughs> the be trees, pretty amazing trees they must be pretty amazing trees mountains light and, and once again this is all like genesis language that he's purposely using but yeah it's i just i just think like that's lebanon's thing it's their oak trees so i just wonder how amazing they were 
It's interesting. The oaks of Mamre and the cedars of Lebanon. And yeah, it's just always constantly being referenced, like all over the Bible, not just in Isaiah. I've always thought that was really interesting. And I wonder if that's partly because like that is what they like staked their economy on or whatever. Like we are the wood people. And so <laughs> I think like maybe they're wood elves. Maybe that's where that, that idea came from. Um, but maybe, but like, I get, yeah, that's a good point. Cause that, that was probably pretty important. Like for ships, for like wood was a huge resource. It's part of their life. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder, you know, kind of, kind of in that way, it's like, Hey, the, the best wood for infrastructure comes from lebanon so for god to be saying things you know whether it's i'm going to like make the the cedars and the oaks look just like nothing or like it will be like that you know either way when he was referencing it i think you at the time would get the idea you know i'm I'm trying to think of a modern day analogy i and i kind of fail because we don't have like one main wood producer or whatever that i could think of but i don't know <laughs> you know i think like probably oil yeah or like you know the vibranium of of men will fall <laughs> <you know? laughs> <laughs> but but then tying nine in um and this this kind of prophetic word of what what will happen that God will not allow his people to walk in darkness forever, but that there will be a light that emerges and that that light will establish a kingdom that lasts forever. And, and in that way, then a serious judgment is coming because kind of the implication being, well, like these two kingdoms can't last forever coexistently. So what's going to happen to us, uh, to Assyria and, and so God kind of paints the picture that, well, Assyria is going to pass away. And then we get this pretty important detail that kind of hinges us from 10 to 11, I think, in Isaiah 10, 20. And it says, now on that day, the remnant of Israel and those of the house of Jacob um, who have escaped will no longer rely on the one who struck them, but will rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. Um, so you get this three times in, in just like two verses, you get this word, the remnant, the remnant, the remnant. And I think that's that's significant because it, it is just a consistent theme, but something particular that Isaiah kind of hones in on um so yeah what what do you guys make of the remnant language i'll let chris go first (laughs) i think this is something that people talk about a lot um they try to either apply it to themselves or if they try to just say this is god's people and you can get some pretty intense theologies because of that um yeah i i think reading this you know reading this without my like christological perspective I, i think you see like um, the remnant are people that rely on the Lord. They're ones that stayed firm, um, you know, were steadfast to God. And um, either that or they came back, you know, there, there's redemption language here. But um, that seems to be the remnant. Yeah, I'm glad you went first because I was just going to be like, oh, I just think the remnant's Jesus again. But then I could see how this would get way trickier if it's interpreted as like a group of people, a chosen group of people or not or whatever. Um there's so many things in the Bible that can be taken really negatively, which is too bad. But when I read it, I was just like, oh, remnant, this is going to be Jesus. Jesus is going to be the remnant, you know. But I, I wonder when Isaiah is, is writing this, he's probably, he's probably meaning a new Israel or a new chosen people or something like that. 
maybe <laughs> yeah yeah it, it does it does get interesting but maybe moving into chapter 11 will help us in our interpretation one thing that um i've heard multiple people say just in the last uh few weeks in podcasts and things is uh scripture interprets scripture and i think that's a really helpful phrase to a plumb line if you will to kind of stick into your brain is like well i'm having trouble struggles interpreting this how should i interpret it well the first thing you should probably do is see if scripture interprets itself somewhere. And one of the ways that you can do that is by just going on to the next chapter or going to the previous chapter or um, finding a keyword like remnant and searching how other other places does remnant occur and maybe that'll help you. So but then Isaiah 1, 11, 1, then a shoot will spring up from the stem of Jesse, a branch from his roots will bear fruit. I love the way that sounds in English. A branch from his roots will bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, okay, he kind of is painting you. You we bring in the, the Lebanon, the cedars uh, kind of language. And then at the end of chapter 10, he says, and God will lop off the branches with terrifying power. He will cut down the tall stature. They cut down the thickets with an iron ax. And so you're, you're kind of given this image of just like a, a decimated forest where it's just stumps everywhere. And then that, that's, that picture is just continued on. It's like, and then this little zip comes out and, and it's just like, whoa, we were growing some romaine lettuce earlier and I was mind blown by the way that it worked because if you've ever bought romaine, it's like the tall one, not the iceberg circle one. And so you, you like when you eat it, you just like cut off the top and then there's this bottom stump part that's remaining. Well, Sydney, my wife was like, hey, let's just put this stump in a bowl of water. And like all of a sudden it was just like... And like leaves were just coming up everywhere. And I was like, Whoa, what is happening? It was crazy. But that's kind of the picture that I get from from this. Yeah. I'm struggling because I, I, you guys are like trying to put away your Christology. And I'm like, does anyone hear echoes of Jesus talking about the branch that's going to give good fruit? And, the, and like, oh, and we're going to prune it. And the parables about that. And oh, we're talking about sticks. It's like Nazareth, Nazareth, is, Nazareth is supposed to be like stick town and all this. I can't, I can't, not. I don't think we need to put it away. I just want to think about, if we can, think about both. Yeah, yeah. Because somehow that makes it, to me, that makes it even cooler that it can have all these double meanings. Well, and to me, like, I'm just saying, when I go straight to that, I completely lose the context that Isaiah is giving. And like, yes, I'm sure he has Jesus in in his mind. And yes, I'm sure, I'm not here to debate about that, but like, I see it with all these Jesus overtones and then it's like, what, what was he actually communicating in that time? So it is. Yeah. I, I feel like I do a, a disservice sometimes and I'm like, it's Jesus, you know, cause it's, it, it is almost a cop out and it's like, <laughs> well, what was he meaning 700 years before Jesus was even a thing? Right. And I think there's the danger of that too, is, you know, you, you, if you do that, sometimes you just, you just stop at the part that Jesus quotes and you go, all right, that's enough. And like, you just, pick out the parts that like are clearly you know linked to jesus and you miss all this other incredible stuff that god is doing in the scripture yeah also i looked up uh the lebanon forests because <laughs> i want to know what they look like and apparently they're dying that's really sad the, the cedar forests are dying because of climate change but they are beautiful hey let's have a humanitarian end to our podcast which is like 
let's save the rainforest. It's like, it's like 80 degrees in Lincoln, Nebraska right now, or it was today. And like the beginning of March, it's like, that's not, that's not how it's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. It's like something's wrong about this. Um, this isn't right. <laughs> yeah, but I think, is uh, Harry, going back to your point, there, there is sometimes, I think, you know, Chris, you did a really cool thing earlier where you're like, oh, and by the way, that destruction of Assyria can be found in Second Kings. You know, so I think there are, as you're going and you're reading the Bible, it is helpful to say, okay, Isaiah is giving us something to hope for. Um, like in this case, in the last case, this destruction of Assyria, and that's accomplished within scripture and the Old Testament itself. So, you know, that's what he was talking about. And, and there's probably some deeper theological stuff that you can dig under there and, and kind of see, oh, well, you know, God's not going to let oppressive re regimes reign forever. That's a good thing, you know, or whatever. But uh, another thing, sometimes I think we, we get to these and the reason we jump straight to Jesus, a.k.a. Christology, is because there's we just don't see it fulfilled ever in scripture until Jesus shows up. And and so I think that's like an important thing is when you're asking like what does it mean to them then? Well, at them then it might have just meant like there's this hope that we have that God's going to accomplish this. We don't know how, but we just have faith that he's going to do it because he's shown that he's worthy and of our faith and has continued to be so. And and so that's one thing that at the end of, or in the middle of chapter 11, that kind of I was thinking too is in chapter 11, verse 11, it says, then it will happen on that day that the Lord will again recover with his hand the second time, the remnant of his people who will remain from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and from the islands of the sea, he will raise up a flag for the nations and assemble the banished ones from Israel. And I was just like, whoa, that is such like a cool image is like, hey, it's not just like Israel who's going to get saved from this, but like the Israelites, because of this exile, they've just been dispersed both literally and figuratively among the nations but there will come this day when god raises a flag so to speak and the people see it and they come back to israel to be one people and it's like well we just we just don't see that happen like literally even in the new testament so so what what is he talking about and for me you know i would say where that that is where jesus is the flag so to speak and the church is this reassembling of of his people um and, and then ultimately that's fulfilled in new creation that we still kind of have the same hope that isaiah is stirring in and and i think that's another thing is kind of chris you talked about this earlier there's this kind of two parts of prophecy where we can ask what was the hope that isaiah was stirring for his people and and where was it fulfilled if it was fulfilled and then what are the same things that we're still yet hoping for and, and where are we pointing to and, and what it will be fulfilled with? And, and I, I think that's just a good thing to remember is like not everything in scripture has been fulfilled yet. Um, Jesus does it in part at least. Um, but part of reading Isaiah and why it's good for us is it trains us how to have that same hope and that same faith in this God of heaven's armies that Isaiah has in his time because he really has no reason 
to be hoping, you know, outside of just a knowledge of who God is and how he works. Yeah, the word, the word that came to me was like the yearning, like, and, and I just got to 12 and 12 is, is saying, you know, like there's going to be some day where we're not going to yearn anymore. Like we're just going to, we're going to get there. We're going to be there, whether it's in the hope, of the Messiah or the hope in, you know, like the remnant, if they kind of, at the end of 11, I love how he ties it. Like just as he did for Israel long ago, it's like, Oh, once again, this is this is just like the Exodus. It's going to happen again. It's just going to be in a, a different form. And then it is this yearning, which I think with Christ we don't necessarily get, which is thank God for that. But in, in this chapter, it's like it's a yearning for things to be different, for this future time when things are different. And that's missed when you take Christ for granted. Yeah. I, I also just love the, you know, pointing at David and Jesse's line because people like – People that are hearing this or reading this are are thinking, okay, what what does a good king look like? And you know, you have David who was decent in his you know day and age. He he was a good king. He he brought Israel the only success in like anything that they've had in a long time. And so, typically, when they think about a good king, they think about somebody like David. But ultimately, David failed, and it's saying, okay, we we need we need an even better king. We need somebody that can rule us even better and be a better king than David was. And so out of this line, he's still going to use that line for, for Jesus. I just think that's so cool. Yeah. And, and I love that there are these occasional like chapter five um, song is kind of what he says, like, I will sing a song of the vineyard. And then chapter 12 is another song. And I think for us today, we're like, oh, that's kind of weird. Just throwing a song in there. It's like the guy who's like, I will speak, I will speak. And by the way, I'm a musician and grabs his guitar and you're like, oh no, what's about to happen? But <laughs> I think uh, I think Isaiah uh, is doing this kind of in a way to signal, hey, now take a moment to reflect on what has just been happening. And I see that in Isaiah 12 as this kind of section wraps up is, Okay, so what do I want you theologically to be getting from this? And what should move you to worship out of this? And I think chapter 12 is kind of that, like pulling the theology, pulling the character of God through 1 through 11, and then saying, so here's why you should worship God out of this stuff. And, you know, some of the things he says is because although your anger angry with me your anger is turned away and you'll comfort me behold god is my salvation so i will trust and not be afraid for the lord god is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation so you have just like this thread the whole way of he's like stop trusting in people stop trusting in the the earthly armies and he's like so what should you get out of this well god yes he's angry now but ultimately he's a god of salvation so you can trust if you're putting your trust in him that he will save and that his salvation is a much stronger foundation than these these earthly hopes and things. Yeah, and, and something I read in that too is that like someday you're going to thank him. Like everything that I just gave you that didn't sound so great, like you're going to thank God for this because it's going to lead you to a better place. Yeah, and that even, I mean, that even mirrors the um, burning coal on his tongue, like the vision, like realizing who he is and what he needs. He had to go through that pain to get there. Yeah, we didn't talk about that very much, although I do think it's an important thing. But yeah, what what you said is is really good, Harry. You know, and on that day you will say, "Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the people." And, and I think that's so good. 
in Isaiah 12, he is singing this song and, and beckoning people to come give thanks and to make God's deeds known among the people before God really does any of this stuff, you know? And I think that's a, a good and important thing for us to pick up on is what is going to be surprising to people, what's going to make his deeds known among the people is rejoicing in the midst of a situation like this and giving praise to a God that we believe in in the midst of a situation like this. So yeah, like going, Harry, to what you said, like there's this, eventually we will be fully rejoicing, but now we have this opportunity also to rejoice in the character of God, knowing who he is and what we can expect of him. And that is going to make his deeds known because in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of World War Three, I don't want to claim it, you know, I'm not, it's not a prophetic statement, but um, that we have this opportunity to rejoice in, in a God whose character is steadfast and, and consistent. And that is a surprising thing to do, albeit foolish, unless you have a good reason to do it, you know? Yeah. And I'm glad we chunked this into sections because Isaiah 1 through 12 could be the book of Isaiah. And you get into it and it, it, it has that message. And once again, with Christ, I feel like it has that, that great fluidity. But then, once again, with the next section and the next section, we're just going to rinse and repeat over and over again. So having that rejoicing amidst suffering, I think, is, is something to remind us as well. Yeah, well, closing thoughts on Isaiah 1 through 12. This has been a good discussion. It's all right, I guess. It's fine. <laughs> I, need to, I need to see these trees. I need to see these oaks. Yeah, I'm about to Google them too. Well, cool. So next time, did we decide on a chunk? I don't think we necessarily did, but it'll be 13 through something. It's like a big, it's a big chunk. I don't know if we want to do the whole one or if we want to do half, but yeah, 13 through like. Yeah, it's like 49 or literally something like that. Well, we can discuss it off air, so to speak. But yeah, Isaiah 1 through 12. There it is. I am done recording and click. <laughs> <laughs>